Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What's the difference between a luxury and a necessity. Which products are essential? You need them no matter how bad the economy gets. But you're discretionary. Many purchases that can be postponed when times get tough. That's not a rhetorical question. In fact, today we got a couple of answers that were so surprising, they impacted the entire session's trading. Dow only losing 104 points. SP declining 0.27%. NASDAQ advancing 0.09%. We're going to talk about why the Dow went down. But first, shocker. Today, Coca-Cola, why the Dow went down. Arguably the most powerful consumer product company of all time. A classic staple. <laughs> it's a small world purveyor of something people are supposed to drink through thick and thin. Turned out to be not so essential after all. Coca-Cola stock got rocked. It's down more than 8% today after the company issued a very downbeat forecast, which uh, more, more, much more worse than expected. It kind of really just shocked me, frankly. CEO... What happened? He pinned the blame on macroeconomic forces. Isn't Coke supposed to be immune to macroeconomic forces? You know what? Strange day today because it was a poignant coda to the awful December retail sales figures that came out this very morning. They were the worst in nine years. I told you it was a bad Christmas season. Ever since uh, Black Friday, it just was going down. So apparently Coca-Cola is a lot more discretionary than we thought. At the same time, Cisco... The network equipment pioneer has now evolved into an indispensable hardware and software powerhouse. When I say indispensable, I mean it. Cisco raises forecast, boosted its dividend, announced a big expansion of its already gigantic buyback. They have $40 billion in cash, by the way. I think digital technologies become so essential, no matter how tortured the economy may be, these companies can't fall behind. See, companies can fail if they don't, don't stay current with the best network possible. Cisco, Cisco has become, it's become a necessity to corporations worldwide. On the other hand, Coca-Cola sugar water, discretionary. 
There's no reason you can't do without it anymore, right? When times get tough, do you really need it? I know that sounds bizarre. Coca-Cola has always been considered the ultimate safety vehicle. A company that works through thick and thin with a solid yield and fabulous balance sheet. Cisco's multi-billion dollar networking equipment, on the other hand, is supposed to be the kind of stuff that companies postpone buying when business slows. Sell, 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 sell. When the economy's in dire straits from the trade war or the government shutdown or too aggressive Federal Reserve, the hedge fund playbook, okay, the playbook and uh, this... I know, wrong language, but this is the playbook. I wrote it for you. Uh, the hedge fund playbook says that you buy the stock of Coca-Cola. Buy, buy, buy! And you shun Cisco. Sell, 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 sell! Historically, investors are willing to pay up for defensive safety stocks. But at least now with Coca-Cola, I think that safety is illusory. Cisco trades a big discount to Coca-Cola as a stock in the price earnings multiple, even though it has faster growth. We always assume Cisco's earnings were more precarious more vulnerable to a slowdown. Turns out, that's no longer true. Don't believe me? Hey, I wouldn't believe it either if I hadn't heard it on their conference calls. So uh, why did James Quincy, the new CEO of Coca-Cola, very good guy, great operator, why did he cut the firm's forecast? I'm going I'm to read it to you because it's really important. Listen to this. I think we are being cautious about the macroeconomics and how that's going to be a little softer than 2018, he said. Then he went on to say he's worried about currency, he's worried about interest rates, and he's worried about taxes. Since when has any of that stuff been a problem for soft drinks? Buying soft drinks? I mean, North America was a little softer, a little more sensitive to the price increases that the company put through to pass uh, on rising input costs. Quincy talks about, and then, I mean, this was like Jimmy Carter. You ready? Quote, a little bit of consumer outlook may les. That's a Jimmy Carter word, may les. Who knew dropping a fiver on a 12-pack of Coke Zero, my wife's favorite, might be too prohibitive in a gloomy environment? I always figure it's about a Coke and a smile. Apparently not. All right, how about Cisco's multi-million dollar networking equipment business? Now, these are some of the biggest ticket items out there, just short of aircraft. you think they'd be vulnerable to a weaker economy. But CEO Chuck Robbins explained that, and I quote, it certainly is one of the more complex macro geopolitical environments that I think we've seen in quite a while with all the different moving parts. But to be honest, from the first day of the quarter to the last day of the quarter, we saw zero difference. Holy cow! Robbins went on to say, and I quote again, we saw very steady demand throughout the quarter and just saw great execution by our teams, end quote. So is Cisco the real safety stock here? I think so. How's that possible? Let me tell you how we ended up in this completely bizarre situation. Me like a mugly, me put, we, we put uh, wings on a uh, wing victory of a Samoth race. Remember that? You know, well, whatever. Venus tomorrow. First, in some cases, the consumer packaged goods companies may have raised their prices too high. And savvy consumers, particularly some of these youngers, you know, the Generation X, the Y, the Z, they, they've learned to live without it. Uh, they just don't consume products the way my generation did. Maybe they'd rather carry Nalgene bottles and drink tap water. I'm not kidding. Maybe they don't think Coke's worth it, especially when there's no redeeming nutritional value. The same could be said for thousands of other items in the supermarket, items that have lost their staying power. Consider ConAgra, the maker of Slim Jims, Hunch Tomato, uh, Pace, Duncan Hines, Chef Boyardee, Hungry Man, among many other brands. It, 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 these are all in your pantry, right? In less than a year, ConAgra stock has plummeted from 39 to 23. Why? 
because you can live without that stuff. Is, is that safety? Is that the definition of safety? That doesn't sound like safety to me. Kellogg flubbed the quarter, too. Four bucks for a box of cornflakes doesn't cut it with these more cherry consumers. This st- uh, how about camel soup, right? It's been a disaster. It's down from 48 to 34 in 12 months. Canned soup just doesn't resonate with millennials. Put some salt in that, huh? Kraft Heinz hasn't exactly been covering itself in glory either. It supports a 5% yield here, but only because the stock has fallen from 72 a year and go to 47 now. Uh, where's the safety in that? We thought these pantry plays were essential, but it turns out their products are replaceable. Now let's consider what Cisco really does. Cisco enables a company's network to securely connect with its employees worldwide while onboarding to all sorts of clouds, both private and public. These days, a business that's not digitized is a business that's dead in the water. Cisco's customers know that. That's why it can boost its dividend and raise its forecast. That's why Cisco has the pricing power to charge more for its machines, because that's how the gross margins are going higher. Companies can't live without this stuff. We see this newly essential technology all over the place. If you're in the business of selling stuff, you can't do it as effectively without Salesforce's uh, software. Everybody knows that. You want to run a complex bank? What happens if someone hacks into your most sensitive inner sanctum and gets their keys to all of your data? You need to pay up for protection, like the protection provided by CyberArk software. CyberArk! Oh, you caught it. Remember them? You caught Remember Udi? Udi, get this. Stock is up 17 bucks today. 17 all-time high, stellar earnings. Congratulations, Udi. You want to streamline your human resources or financial teams? Well, you need Workday and Neil Bushery. Comes indispensable. ServiceNow, John Dono, Information Technology Management. Oh, and try designing a, a, a truly interactive e-commerce system without Adobe. It's very hard to do. And certainly, we're going to speak to Twilio. Hard to do Twilio for push data. Put it all together, and it's pretty clear that we're paying too much for the consumer product stocks if, if, if they've truly become economically uh, sensitive, right? I mean, if, if the macro forces play a role in Coca-Cola, well, you may have to avoid the vast majority of these, which haven't really kept up with the times. But companies with complex hardware and software solutions that empower the modern corporation, maybe we need to pay a premium for their stocks. Maybe Cisco will be re-rated. They're scarce. They're vital. Look, there will always be outliers. I think Clorox and Procter & Gamble, uh, they had terrific numbers, okay? They've been able to put through price increases without much resistance. I think PepsiCo tomorrow morning will show less pricing sensitivity, but uh, that's not because of drinks. It's because of snacks. Oh, boy. Bottom line. The message of today is simple. Old-time safety can be illusory. The consumer packaged goods companies are a lot more economically sensitive than these of these terrific enterprise-oriented technology plays. That's the new normal. Get. Oh, no, I can't do that to an executive producer who's wearing a Valentine's Day scarf. But you got to get used to it. Let's go to Alex in California. Alex! Hey, what's going on, Big Jim? I don't know, man. I was just about to shake up a Coke can and open it up and ruin somebody's outfit. But I thought better of it in the end. How can I help? Classic. Hey, I just had a couple questions on Raytheon. They just got a Pentagon contract. And what do you think the long-term outlook looks? Uh, My channel trust, which you can follow along by subscribing to ActionLearnsPlus.com, but you won't have to tell you this story. We bought Raytheon, and I gave up. And I gave up because I just said, you know what? When the Democrats got in, they would not boost spending. That was a mistake. Raytheon's a winner. Uh, Wow. I mean, I don't know how much more it can go, but we did punt. Uh, Not my finest moment. But if I just talk about all the good ones, then I'm obviously not going there. Right? That's not the truth. Anyway, times are changing, and you better keep up with them. The new reality, it's digital technology that's essential, not traditional consumer standbys like Coca-Cola. Although I got to tell you, I still love, I like that Coke Zero, and Ingenui will be missed as CEO of PepsiCo tomorrow morning. 
but I really like Diet Mountain Dew. Mad Money tonight. Twilio stock got hit last night, but could it be a buying opportunity? I'm sitting down with the CEO after earnings to talk about how it's uh, what this recent acquisition of Sangrim will do. Then sto- uh, stocks make it our stocks in fashion. I'm talking to the major apparel makers. I'm talking about the major apparel makers to see if any could be worth owning. And as one man's trash and another treasure, I'm going to sit down with the CEO of Waste Management, which, by the way, punched through 100 today to see if the stock could have you cleaning up. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. What in the world happened to the stock of Twilio yesterday? The cloud-based communications software play has been one of the hottest stocks around. Maybe the best stock I follow for 2018. Twilio helps app developers use push technology to better connect to their customers. Think of the, the text messages you get from, say, Lyft or Airbnb. A year ago, this was a $30 stock. Now it's $107. But yesterday, it was slammed into a retaining wall. After Twilio reported what I thought was a good quarter, the problem, when your stock runs up into earnings, sometimes good isn't good enough. And there was some hair on this one as Twilio's earnings got for the next quarter came in weaker than the analysts expected. So the stock plunged from 115 to 105 in a single session. Silly, silly. Now, we had asked, could this be a buying opportunity since the business is growing plus 77%? Twilio has a lot going for you, including its multi-billion dollar all-stock acquisition of SendGrid, a cloud-based platform for transactional and marketing email, which closed earlier this week. I think this, this part of the story isn't getting enough attention. Sure didn't on the analyst meeting. So let's take a closer look with Jeff Lawson, the co-founder and CEO of Twilio, and Samir Dolakia. He's the CEO of Twilio SendGrid. To learn more about what the deal means for the combined companies, especially because I just didn't think the conference call did it justice. First, Jeff, good to see you. Congratulations on 77% growth, which people weren't talking about at all. I don't know why. It seems like a good number. 
Thank you, Jim. Uh, great to be back. And uh, yeah, we're very proud of uh, capping off an amazing year with a Q4 with 77% year-over-year growth. Uh, at our scale, we feel is a major accomplishment. So we're very proud of what uh, we accomplished in 2018 and looking forward to an amazing 2019. All right, so Samir, let's talk about SendGrid. It reminded me a little bit of when Mark Benioff bought uh, Exact Target with Mr. Dorsey because you needed to have both uh, push to phone but also email, particularly for marketing, on this platform. So tell me, uh, let's say, pick a client that you both worked with and now you're together and being uh, one plus one equals three. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned, uh, Jim, Airbnb um, as, as one great customer. They're a customer of ours as well. So any of your listeners out there, when they make a reservation, uh, at a, for a given stay, they'll get a confirmation of that reservation in their email inbox. Uh, that's being delivered by SendGrid. That's one example from our 82,000 paying customers uh, and, and a joint customer. And, you know, one plus one equal five because we believe companies like Airbnb and uh, the 140,000 other joint co- uh, total companies that we serve in our, in our Twilio family now, they're going to need a ability to orchestrate communications, different ways to engage with their users over a myriad of channels Email certainly important one, SMS, push, messaging, et cetera. So uh, we're excited about the combination. All right. Well, one of the things that I, I'm possessed with is I don't think people realize how early we are and how big it can be. I don't know, Jeff, when we yeah. first met each other, but you're now powering more than 600 billion, 600 billion annualized interactions each day. I, mean, I, I don't even know how, you have the, how people have the computing power to do it. This is all in your platform? Well, we power such a wide range of communications for such a wide range of companies. If you think about it, every company is undergoing a digital transformation, and that includes how they engage with their customers digitally across a wide variety of mediums like voice and messaging and chat and email and push and even new channels like Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp we have on our platform. But also across all the different touch points they have with their customers, from when you're selling to them, when you're marketing to them, when you're giving them customer service, uh, when you're uh, delivering product or out in the field working with customers, these are all touch points where you use digital technologies, you use software to make a great customer experience. And Twilio can make every one of those touch points better by incorporating great communications into the process. And what we're seeing is that every kind of company needs this capability. It's not just technology companies, but look, on our call yesterday, uh, we had uh, uh, Stanley, uh, Black & Decker, we had Ecolab, we had E-Trade. It really does run the gamut of every company, big and small, new and old, needs great customer engagement in order to win. Do you think uh, the analogy here, and I I don't want to steal from JMP because i got to give them credit, but you did seem to become, you're kind of like Amazon Web Services for for a dominant cloud player, meaning that everyone writes for them, everyone knows they have to do them, but you have no, I don't know if there's a Azure against you, and I don't know if there's a Google Cloud against you. I I think you just kind of have it yourself. Well, what's amazing about the platform play here is that Twilio can be used by developers working at any kind of company to really use our platform to build just about any business problem they need to solve. And so that's the power of the platform business model that developers are now working at companies of every shape and size, seeing business problems that the company needs to solve and using software to solve it. And when they do, they pick up Twilio and they use us as a tool in their tool belt to go build better customer engagement. And so that's one of the powerful things about this platform model is that we can be used in so many different ways at so many different companies. Uh, Samir, I want to bring you back because one of the things that I try to have been spending more time and I spent this is one of the things I want to do much more in 2019 is talk about corporate culture, talk about sustainability, talk about what companies do for the world. Both of your companies use 111. 
Does, what did that mean when you integrate each other? And please explain that to people, because this is a mission that I think I'm finally at the age I can talk about this stuff because it's good for the world. Yeah, it is. It is so important. Uh, and and uh, frankly, we took the pledge 1%, the one 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 you're describing, uh, in large part because of a lunch that I had with Jeff. And he talked about how Twilio did it, explained the process to me, what he did, and we just ran the same playbook. And we took the pledge before we went public in November 17. And so now we can double the amount of impact we can have in our communities in which we live. And as, as businesses, it's our responsibility to make sure we're doing good not just for our customers and our businesses, but, but our communities around us. Well, we just want to be sure, please describe to people what, what 111 is, because you guys are out there, and 111 yeah. is common parlance. In the East, we think of 111, that makes three. So just detail what you guys are doing. <laughs> yeah, the Pledge 1% is, is all about uh, contributing 1% of the equity value of the business, um, of your profits, and of product uh, towards nonprofits, people that are out there doing good in the world, uh, helping their communities. And we use all of those things, dollars uh, and, and products and time of our employees serving the communities um, that we live in and that we work in. And we just think that's really important. And that pledge 1% is all about, all about giving back because we've, we've enjoyed so much success, we want to empower those around us. Well, congratulations on that. And Jeff, what one last question. We, uh, E-Trade is integral to many of our customers' lives, many of our, our, our viewers' lives. Uh, what do you guys do for E-Trade? Because I know it's not clear. It's, not, it's, not, it's powered by Twilio, but it's not Twilio. So what, uh, an E-Trade person might be interested in owning shares in Twilio. What do you do? Yeah, I'll give you an example, right? If you uh, make a trade and you're going to get a trade confirmation sent to you, maybe you get it over email, maybe you choose to get it over text, that would be a great example of the kind of alerts and notifications that a customer like E-Trade is using Twilio for. And really the message here is that the more you keep customers in the loop, the more you keep them aware of what's going on and make them uh, a part of uh, engaging with the company at every step of the way, every time something is happening on their behalf, if you keep them in the loop, they're more engaged, they're happier, they call customer support less, and they feel like you're working on their behalf. And E-Trade's a great example of a company who is going along this digital uh, journey and engaging with their customers at every step of the way using these important forms of communication. Well, I want to congratulate you gentlemen for getting together. Jeff and Samir, I think that this could be a great combo. I still don't understand why you're only valued at $13 billion. You have a much bigger total addressable market than that. Thank you so much to Jeff Lawson. He's the founder and CEO of Twilio. To Samir Dolakia, CEO of Twilio Sengrad. And for those who do the one one one, they have money's back in People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed yesterday fashion week finally came to an end only in new york city could fashion week last for Two weeks. But while the glitterati were going to runway shows and glamorous parties, Wall Street was having its own version of Fashion Week. Yep, instead of going to nightclubs with supermodels, uh, uh, who would enjoy that? We were reading earnings reports and listening to conference calls from a slew of publicly traded apparel companies trying to stay up with this stuff. Now, admittedly, the real Fashion Week sounds like a lot more fun, but the Wall Street version has the potential to be a lot more lucrative to your portfolio. So what did we learn during Fashion Week, aside from the fact that frills are apparently back in vogue this year? We now have a much better idea of which apparel stocks will work, will rock in 2019, which is why I want to walk you through them one by one, offer some color commentary. Maybe think of me as, say, the Joan Rivers of the stock market, except that I'm still alive and she still has better outfits. Okay, here we go. Let's take them in chronological order, starting with the fabulous Ralph Lauren. For years, Ralph Lauren felt increasingly irrelevant. The peppery brand that time seemed to forget, and the stock behaved accordingly. But then in 2017, they brought in an executive from, of all places, Procter & Gamble's, their beauty business. By the way, that's an unbelievable business. But this was a person with no fashion experience. And they gave him the keys, the kingdom. Patrice LeVay is the man's name, and what LeVay has brought to the table was a keen understanding of branding. And since then, he's masterminded an incredible turnaround. This guy is muddy. If you have any doubt about Ralph Lauren's comeback, LeVay put them to rest a week and a half ago when he delivered a stunning quarter, a terrific top and bottom line beat, including acceleration in North American same-store sales, up 4%, with the company also raising its full-year forecast. How many companies in this power business have been raising their forecast? LeVay has a five-year plan to breathe new life into the business. And unlike some other five-year plans I could mention, Stalin's, Mal's, uh, this one actually seems to be resonating with the consumer. The goal? LeVay wants to bring in a new generation of customers by reaching out to the they're the inner digital in them. Yes, he's using digital marketing and social media. I've got his, uh, I have his app on the site. It's fantastic. Then selling them great products, especially Ralph Lauren's own direct-to-consumer platform. During the quarter, the company boosted its marketing investments by 18%, and ever larger portion, of course, of that money going to the web, where it can do the most good. And it's working. When you look at the products Ralph Lauren highlighted in his holiday gift campaign, a third of the people who bought this stuff were new customers. That's right, never been to Ralph Lauren before. And a sizable chunk of them were under the age of 35. The holy grail, it's huge. The company also got an amazing roster of celebrities and social media influencers. Some of these people, we say on our staff, are thought leaders, not just influencers. Nicole Kidman, Hugh Jackman. I tell you, he's a thought leader. Alex Rodriguez, Lady Gaga, along with a bunch of other famous people whose names I don't even recognize because I'm part of that demographic nobody wants anymore. Not only is Ralph Lauren putting up awesome numbers, they're doing it in places where you might have expected uh, business to be, let's say, soft, like China. 
Yep, on a constant currency basis, this quintessentially American brand saw its sales grow by nearly 40% in mainland China, in part because they launched a new e-commerce platform for the People's Republic in September, and it's blowing up. In response, the stock caught fire, but even up here, Ralph Lauren's stock only sells for less than 17 times next year's earnings estimates. I gotta tell you, that's a little crazy. This should be probably around 19 to 20, okay? I think Patrice Levey's doing a great job. Ralph Lauren himself still has a tremendous amount of cachet, still has some great input. The two are working together, and the stock is a buy. Next up on the red carpet is Capri Holdings. That, that, that's a company formerly known as Michael Kors, which now includes Jimmy Choo and Versace which is really getting hot. There's a lot of high fashion under one roof. The stock got pummeled after Versace deal was announced. It closed in September, and a lot of people thought they overpaid. And then it got hit again when the company gave you some disappointing guidance in November. But last Wednesday, CEO John Idle changed the narrative as Capri Holdings reported a better than fear quarter with numbers that were much stronger than the November guidance had led people to expect. So the stock initially ripped 11% on the news, jumping from 43 to 48 as some of us a short squeeze, people felt that Idle was going to miss the numbers. Since then, oddly, this one has pulled back to 44 and changed as of today. At these levels, Capri trades at just nine times this year's earnings, uh, and it, that's a steal. The company's holding its annual investor day this summer, and I expect Idle will tell a fabulous story about the future. I recommend picking some up before then. I really want what's going on with Versace, by the way. They're really reinventing the brand, and they can make that much bigger. Remember, he's buying older brands that are run by families. He's really energizing them when he gets them, and this man is going to put up good numbers. Who had the biggest fashion faux pas this earnings season? This is a tough one because I really like this company and the guy who runs his tapestry. Yeah, Tapestry. The apparel and accessories artist formerly known as Coach. I guess when you're in this industry, you've got to change your name. Uh, they also own Kate Spade. Wow, that did really badly. And Stuart Weitzman. Hanging on. Just like Capri, Tapestry has gone from a single brand into a house of brands in recent years. Hence the name change, a little diversification. But every, every time it seems like CEO Victor Luis has gotten the business back on track, the story gets derailed again. When Tapestry reported a week ago, they missed on both the top and the bottom line. And then management cut their full-year sales and earnings forecast. Victor Luis, total straight shooter, has been on the show. He flat-out admitted in a really, I'd say, um, thoughtful and and humble, I was going to say humiliating, but humble conference call. He admitted that he had disappointed people, especially the numbers from Kate Spade. Although he also cited an increasingly volatility, uh, macroeconomic and geopolitical backdrop as the culprit. Now, there are real issues here, and it's hard not to see this quarter as an indictment of management's decision to shell out $2.4 billion for the Kate Spade business. I think they paid too much. I really like Victor Lee's, and I hope Tapestry can turn things around. But I hope it's not part of the equation, right? So the stock needs to be spending some time in the penalty box. Now, there are a couple of other power plays that we've got to talk about, even if they aren't what would any moment call, say, high fashion. Take Columbia Sportswear, C-O-L-M. This company's mostly focused on outerwear. You know them as Columbia, Sorrel, uh, Mountain Hardware, Prana's doing well, a host of other brands. We just had Tim Boyle on, right? And none of this stuff is particularly fancy. The truth is Columbia Sportswear reported the single best quarter of any of these companies. Yet Columbia knocked it out of the park. A 35-cent earnings beat off a $1.28 basis, much higher than expected revenues, up 16% year-over-year. No wonder the stock exploded higher on the news. Now, I am a big fan of what CEO Boyle is doing here. Columbia's got a terrific direct-to-consumer initiative. they got the right endorsements and influencers. Remember, I told you that, thought leaders, influencers. And they make great products that customers love. While the stock isn't exactly cheap here, and we just got to downgrade the other day because it's moved too much, I think it's a buy into any weakness. Finally, we got to talk about something that was, a lot, that was top of mind today. Canada Goose. 
It's another outerwear play with a much more luxurious line of products. Every time it's cold, you see that the, you know, the thing, right? This stock has been a huge winner ever since it came public roughly two years ago. But today, Canada Goose flew south for the winter. When the company reported this morning, the results seemed fantastic at first glance. I know, I thought they were. They had 50% revenue growth. Wall Street was only expecting 36. Wow. Yet the stock sold off dramatically, only closing down nearly 12%. Why? Because management's full-year guidance was very cautious, implying a major deceleration of both sales and earnings. Now, I just disagree with this whole uh, presumption that that's really going to happen. I simply think they were, uh, they were being conservative. I think they're under-promising so they can over-deliver later. Uh, but the sellers sure di- disagree with me. I think the sellers are wrong. Bottom line, after Wall Street's version of Fashion Week, you got to look at what's happening here, okay? we got Ralph Lauren doing really well, okay? It is the, uh, this is total influencer. We have Capri Holdings, thought leader, okay? We've got Columbia Sportswear, technical king, uh, but you got to avoid tapestry uh, for now because those numbers were downright ugly. And you know what, Canada Goose? I think Canada Goose is interesting. Some of these people know more than others, candidly. Some of these people are... Wow. If it's your wife, you can get away with that. All right, let's go to John in Minnesota. John. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. And a big Minnesota booyah to you. I hope it's not too cold booyah. I was pulled up with Brian Cornell the other day. He said it was minus 20 degrees for a couple days. You know, your Apple iPhone does not work at minus 20. I just want to point that out. (laughs) That's about right. They say Mars is even colder, it seems. Hey, uh, the the, uh, stock is boot. Uh, boot barn and yes. um, bought it at 30. She went down to 15. I saw that they're going to be expanding the stores. Now it's back up to 26. Wondering if I should uh, know if I should keep that, hold it, or buy more. I am a disciple of Matthew Boss at JP Morgan, and he has convinced me, and they have come on the show twice, that you have to stay on this one through thick and thin. You can't, it's not a trading vehicle. It's a long-term situation, and I like it very, very much. Okay, guys. Look, it was Fashion Week, and I had to give you the rundown. I really think this one, tomorrow, Canada Goose, someone will downgrade it. They can't take the pressure. That'd be your chance. To outfit your portfolio with the latest fashions, I'd stick to Ralph Lauren because I love what Louvet is doing. Capri Holdings, I think Idol's making a comeback. Columbia Sportswear, we believe in Boyle. Got to beware of tapestry. Sorry, Victor. I know you're going to get it right, but not yet. It, 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 it's just too soon. But for me, money ahead. I got you the perfect Valentine. Trash! Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO of Waste Management after earnings. Then, what's the dumbest thing a person could do? CenturyLink might offer a clue. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Let's talk about consistency. This morning, Waste Management, the largest waste disposal company in North America, reported a strong quarter. There's a lot to like here. They gave you a seven-cent earnings beat off $1.06 basis with higher-than-expected sales up more than 5% year-over-year. Waste Management is a high-quality company that does better in expanding the economy. More commerce equals more trash. So even though some thought the guidance was a little light, I think this company deserves the benefit of the doubt. And so did the market. As the stock at an all-time high, it was cracked 100. So let's check in with Jim Fish, the presidency of Waste Management, to learn more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Fish, welcome back to Bad Money. Good to see you, Jim. Have a seat. Good to see you. Good to see you. Now, there's something that I've followed your company in various iterations since the 80s. I don't think I've ever seen it this consistent. And you do talk about how it's a proxy for the U.S. economy, but it's a proxy times two. You always seem to do better than the U.S. economy. (laughs) 
Well, I tell you, we, we did do better, uh, kind of 2x the economy. When you look at the long, total, the long pole intent, it's always EBITDA. That's right. the biggest number on the page. Right. And that is the one that tells us whether the business is doing well or not. And it was 2x the economy this year. Next year, it could be, depending on what, well, next year being 2019, depending on what the economy does, it could be two and a half times the economy. Now, where are these areas? I know you put in the Permian. Somebody said on the call, well, I guess the Permian with oil down uh, can't be that good. But the fact is, you're in some areas that are red hot. Yeah, and the Permian really, I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's landfill assets. Okay. So it's not way outside of our core. Right. Uh, it's not an area geographically that we've been, but, right. it, but it is the core of our business. And we bought it well below our trading multiple. So we're excited about that. But, um, I mean, we're just performing well on, in terms of efficiencies, mm-hmm. in terms of controlling cost. I mean, I've always said we've got to control SG&A, and we're right. doing a good job on that. No, and then, uh, uh, you know, price and volume. Well, the thing that... Uh, there are very few companies that pay out as much as you do. I mean, you're 90% of the free cash flow. Yeah. Is that because you've just, I mean, maybe because the, the fleet is powered by 60% of your own natural gas? Is because you have your costs under control? That's a phenomenal amount to return to shareholders. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously a combination of the dividend plus share of purchase. Right. So, you know, we could always adjust that if we needed to on share of purchase, but, but we don't feel any need to. I mean, it's, um, you know, the business continues to churn out good profits and right. feel like uh, let's return it to shareholders. You're doing some exciting things. Uh, talk about this uh, Caterpillar remote operator equipment. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a cool, uh, you know, pilot we're doing right now. It's outside of uh, Denver, one of our landfills outside of Denver, and, and we're looking at, at you know, what happens when millennials start kind of becoming a biggest, the biggest part of the workforce? Right. Everybody's talking about it, right? Right. Uh, and they all play Fortnite, and so... And when they go, go to Firefest. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, so as you think about um, remote operations of heavy equipment, which is what we're doing with right. Caterpillar, you've got somebody sitting in a room that's remotely operating it, sitting in front of a bank of TV screens, and it is similar to playing a game, really. So it, it, it kind of lends itself so it's to the next generation. It's joystick. It is a joystick, it? exactly. Wow. I, did, I did it. I didn't do very well. At well, it, but that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, I know that you, you talk about the cost of, of driver. You said your third party, other companies, had a hard time controlling costs, but maybe because of automation, you guys have been able to do better? You don't seem to have a cost well, problem. Well, they're passing some of it through to us, so, okay. so no mistake here. I mean, transportation costs for us at our, at our transfer stations are going up okay. at, at higher than, than inflation. It's our job to pass it through in the form of price increase at the landfills, and we talked a bit about that this morning, and we've got to make sure that we pass through that cost uh, as a price increase to our landfill customers. All right, are, speaking of millennials, because I'm constantly trying to figure out what they're doing, why do they hate landfills so much? Well, I, you know, I don't know that they hate them. I, I mean, you know, sometimes landfills get a bit of a bad rap, but, yeah. but look, the landfills create a lot of energy. I mean, we're, we're, we're capturing that energy. It's part right. of why we're able to build these renewable plants. Uh, which have great returns to them. So it is interesting when you think about these landfills and the communities that have them. Interestingly, those communities tend to, to actually like them. They, they provide a lot of jobs. Uh, sometimes we pay a fee to those communities, so they're good for those communities. Are we, uh, who's buying our recycling, uh, our newsprint now? Mostly the United States. Wow. Used to be mostly China. Isn't that something? the West Rocks? Is the, uh, isn't that amazing? Yeah, I mean, th- I, literally 18 months ago, 30% of all of our s- recycled stuff was going to China. Right. And now most of it's staying in the United States. Some of it's going to India. Okay. A little bit going to China. Some of it going to other Southeast Asian countries. And how about our glass and our plastic? Are we getting any better in this country? I always talk to you. Yeah. It just seems like until we come up with some regime, that makes it so there's, it's punitive if you put, don't put it in the right place. Right. We're still not good at it. Well, glass is, you know, there's, there's no shortage of the raw materials to make glass. Okay. And that's, that's the problem with glass. So glass, we, we, we end up losing money on, on, you know, every pound of glass that comes in. There's really only one person that will buy the glass from us. 
Plastic's different. There's some. There's some. There's kind of good and bad plastic. Right. Right. There's the plastic really? bags that go through your grocery store. Those are not good for our equipment. But then there's the the water bottles or the or the uh, you know the soda bottles. Those are good. And and so what we're looking for is what's a solution at the back end of our plants that can turn low value plastics into something productive. Now, why do you have to do that? Why don't we, as a country, why does a, a private company? Have to I don't know. I mean, I think I think a lot of people are trying, but right. but it, it's a natural for us because at the back end of our plants. 25% of what comes out of the, uh, you know, comes in the front door goes out the back door as trash, basically, right. to a landfill. Right. So our, our concept is, you know, how do, we, how do we make something better out of it? And it's better for the environment, better for our, our economics. Well, I'm glad you think about it because I know that uh, it, we're in a new generation here where I, I can speak to a department store and they'll say, listen, our biggest worry is, is that the, our clothes are going to end up in landfills. I mean, this has become a very... Uh, a very hot-button topic. What we make that ends in a landfill, maybe it shouldn't. It should be sustainable. And you guys have to think about it all the time, I guess. Well, we do. I, I, there's a lot of material that comes into these landfills that could go to better use. And that's what we're trying to do. We, we talked about it at our sustainability forum in Phoenix uh, you know, around the golf tournament a couple of weeks ago. What's the best use for the material? If the best place for it is a landfill, look, the landfills, we do a nice job of those landfills. You sure do. And if the best place is the landfill, then fine. I don't think people realize, because I've been to one of yours, yeah. I've been to the other right. guys. I know it sounds weird that some could have nicer landfills, but <laughs> I know from my friends who are in the business, yours are. The, I mean, if you have to go to a waste management, it's yeah. the best landfill. No, they're, they're nice places. Um, we do a really nice job managing them. Our team does a great job yeah. with them. But if there's material that's coming into the landfill that, that would have a better use being recycled, then let's figure it out. All right, that's great. I'm glad you're thinking about that because, meantime, you just keep making money for shareholders. Terrific work. I want to thank Jim Fisk, President and CEO of Waste Management. $100 today. It's just been straight up. Man, money's back after the break. It is time for a very romantic Federal Reserve Valentine's Day edition of the Light Round Man Money. That's right, David Cole's Rapid said, one another, she is our center. Bye bye, bye, so good. Don't forget, we're going to play this out. And then the Lightning Round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Get it. Time for the Lightning Round, Kramer's Man Money. I'm going to start with Matt in California. Matt. Booyah, Kramer. Thanks for taking my call. How do I play online game provider Zynga? Well, I mean, look, it's, a, it's, a, it's been a bad stock for a long time until very recently. It obviously has got, it's become an up stock. It's like some of these others have just, you know, they're exploding. Anything gaming. So you can go with it, but it's speculative. Let's go to Dean in Georgia. Dean. Hey, Jim. This is Dean from Atlanta, Georgia. Big booyah to you. Nice to have you on the show. How can I help? Thank you for taking my call. First time caller, big fan. There you go. All right. Um, I'm actually calling about an Atlanta-based company. Uh, what do you think about global payments? GPN? Oh, we like global payments. We like the payment space. Bye, bye, bye. It's one of the big ones. We have to refresh and do more on payment space, including Square, which everybody likes, MasterCard, Visa. Let's go to Bubba in Georgia. Bubba. Hey, Jim. This is Bubba from Stone Mountain, Georgia. Let me give you a babalooey, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-booyah. Man, now that was just a well-done booyah. Let's go to work. Thank you, Jim. Hey, I got a twofer. See your twofer sign. I love it. I'm just kidding. My uh, ticker symbol is QTWO. Oh, man. Q2 Holdings. That is uh, 
you know, that's another one of these software companies. I, I have to come back on it. There are too many, I'm just going to say it for the record, there are too many virtual banking solutions, and i got to be sure before I recommend them that they really do work. Let's go to Richard in New Jersey. Richard! Jim, I'm a retired dividend and growth investor. Is okay. it time to buy six flags on today's pullback? I didn't like the pullback. Uh, no, I didn't like the numbers. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I was actually, now I'm sure everything can always be assuaged. You can get a better feel for it. Maybe the market was wrong. But Jim Reed Anderson came here, and I would not have expected that the company would have done as poorly as it did. The stock's down eight. Uh, it yields six, and I think it should. I just would I'm trying to, I think it was, it was a suboptimal quarter. And maybe there were some ill-advised uh, views expressed about sex. More work to do. Uh, how about Dan in New York? Dan. Dan from Buffalo, Jim. Yes. Reinforce my conviction on AVAV. Well, you know what? It's a stock that is heavily shorted, and the bears go after it when it goes up. I believe in it, but, man, I believe in Joe's. It is hard. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. When something looks like it's too good to be true, it probably is. That's my rule of thumb for companies with sky-high dividends. If you see a stock sporting a yield that's well in excess of what you can get elsewhere, well, I think you should be skeptical. Most likely, it's not a bargain. It's a sign that the dividend is going to be... CenturyLink, the old-fashioned wireline telephone company. I hate to say I told you so. Eh, no, actually, I kind of like to say I told you so. But a few months ago, I warned you about CenturyLink's because the ridiculously high dividend simply wasn't safe. Sure enough, last night, the company did cut its dividend in half, even as management had stood by that payout, and many analysts believe them. In response, the stock lost 13% of its value today. The house of pain. For several years now, I've been getting calls about the safety of this gargantuan dividend because CenturyLink had the largest yield in the S&P 500. Emphasis on the word had, because last night the company slashed the dividend from 216 down to $1. That's a drastic move. Management says they want, they want to create value in other ways that are better and more sustainable. To me, that means well, we can't afford it anymore. I'm not happy about this. I would have loved to have been proven wrong about CenturyLink. But there's no way this company could grow and compete with the big boys while still diverting such a huge chunk of its earnings directly to shareholders. By the way, since I told you to sell this thing in November, the stock has tumbled from 18 to 12. Uh, At the time, CenturyLink looked like it had an 11.5% yield. But as we know now, that yield was illusory. How did we see this company when a lot of smart people didn't? Simple. We knew that prudence dictated a big dividend cut. Even as CenturyLink management insisted they could afford it. But here's the thing. In all my years in this business, I've never heard a CEO not once say, you know what, if things get, keep getting bad, we're going to take a machete to that dividend. So if you own our stock for income, you're going to take a real beating. Never heard that once. Instead, it's usually more like what happened with CenturyLink, where a new CEO, Jeff Story, came in last May, looked at the trends that have played out over the next eight, eight months, and then decided he could no longer support the payout. Now, I'm being incredibly kind and generous to Mr. Story here because I really only care that we got you out of CenturyLink before the devastation. 
I didn't make that call by listening to the company. I did it by falling back on my rules. Here's a company that lovingly talked about how much earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, or EBITDA was uh, since it made that merger uh, with Level 3 Communications. They kept telling us about all of the cost cuts that would bolster their bottom line. The problem with that, see, there's only so many costs you can cut. I was more concerned about the continual erosion of CenturyLink's revenue stream, the same kind of erosion that has devastated the other companies in the wireline industry. We saw the same thing happen to two of CenturyLink's fellow travelers. Like Windstream, we saw it. Frontier, disastrous. But their stocks have been hammered so hard, they're now too small for me to talk on air, but I said their names. Okay, I had to. Over the years, their CEOs repeatedly told me that their dividends were safe. But this particular past of the, uh, of the telco industry, this part of the telco industry, it's a dinosaur. Their stocks gradually went lower as their revenues shrank, making their yields seem more attractive. Management insisted that the market had it wrong and their dividends were safe. Nope, the market had it right. Now CenturyLink does have a better balance sheet than its compadres. I think that they're doing the right thing here. In fact, if I were running CenturyLink, you know what? I wouldn't pay a dividend at all. It needs to find a way to grow. Otherwise, it's basically a wasting asset, like the other wireline telco plays. Can they actually do that? I doubt it. But that's besides the point. What matters here is that you can't rely on a company's executives or some of the better analysts who cover the stock to tell you when a dividend could be cut. you got to do the own homework. got to do it yourself. With CenturyLink, it was obvious to anyone with discipline that the sky-high yield was a red flag, even as many analysts failed to see the cut coming. Some things are simply too good to be true, people. And a stock with an 11.5% yield, well, that's one of them. Stick with Craig. All right, NVIDIA, the stock, is screaming higher tonight after reporting slightly better than expected numbers, uh, both top and bottom line. Now, you understand, I like the semiconductors, but I like to have just called the bottom NVIDIA. I said over and over again, it's going to be a two-quarter situation. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.